following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. He leadeth me, O oh, blessed thought, O oh, words with heavenly comfort fraught. What What a wonderful story this Pilgrim's Progress is. It's an allegory. It was printed in 1678 for the first time, and it has been in continuous print ever since. Even as a child, I read the story of Pilgrim's Progress. I couldn't read. My mother read it to us aloud. But what a wonderful story it is. But it's much more than entertainment. It's literally a guide a guide for your journey from this life to the life that is to come. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel, and I thank you for joining us today. We're live in the studio. Let me give you that telephone number where you are welcome to call and join with me. It's 877-534-0780. Again, 877-534-0780. 0780. Now today I want to dive right into Pilgrim's Progress. There is so much material to cover, and then I want to go to the scriptures and show you from the scriptures that John Bunyan was right on track with what he had to say about the forgiveness of sins, the removal of sins, and the walk of righteousness before God. Again, I'm reading this by permission from Crossway Publishing. They're a ministry of good news publishers out of Wheaton, Illinois. The translation or the editing is by C.J. Lovick. And you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can order a copy of this book. I would urge you to order more than one copy and give it to a friend and say, Follow along with Pastor Ray as he reads Pilgrim's Progress. You're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'll find sermons, blogs, and podcasts. I would encourage you to go to these free resources. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this material today is so important. Thank you that you inspired John Bunyan with this allegory, that he would lift up your scriptures as a light unto our path. I pray today that great conviction will come into our hearts, that everything that is cheap will be thrown out, that, Lord, we will see ourselves clearly and that we will know 
what our relationship is with you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to begin with chapter 3 today. I know we covered part of this yesterday, but we need to read it as a whole to catch the flavor of what this burden lifted was and, and how the journey began. Now, you recognize that in one sense, the journey began when the Holy Spirit began to convict Pilgrim, or now we call him Christian. He was also called graceless at the beginning of the journey. Conviction of sin began to fall upon him, and the certainty that the city he was dwelling in would be utterly burned up, and he and his family would lose their lives. As the weight of that conviction began to settle in his heart, he moaned and groaned. He had no idea how to deliver himself. He had no way of knowing. But then he found this book, and as he read this book, the Bible, that conviction began to grow. Today, if you are not a Christian, perhaps you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, an atheist, a Muslim, whatever your background, I urge you, pick up the Bible and begin to read. Read particularly in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Begin to read and watch what the Holy Spirit will begin to do in your heart. He'll begin to convict you of the truth of who Jesus was and is and of your need for him. Jesus was given by God as God to us. So let's begin. This is page... Chapter 3, page 59. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on each side with a wall. The wall was called salvation. Therefore it was up this highway that Christian ran, but not without great difficulty because of the burden of the load on his back. He ran till he came to a small hill, at the top of which stood a cross, and at the bottom of which was a tomb. I saw in my dream that when Christian walked up to the hill and up to the cross, his burden came loose from his shoulders and fell off his back, tumbling down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in to be seen no more. Then Christian was relieved and delighted and exclaimed with a joyful heart, He has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. For a while he stood still in front of the cross, looking and wondering. It was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should ease him of his burden. He continued looking at the cross until tears began streaming down his cheeks. And as he stood looking and weeping, three shining ones came to him and greeted him with these words, Peace be with you. Now, as we move deeper into the story of Christian, 
he's going to describe for us much more fully what happened to him as he stood there at the cross. And I'd like to give you just a quick heads up. He records later that as he stood looking at the cross, he saw more than the cross. He saw the Savior. He saw Jesus Christ stretched out on that cross, crucified, bleeding. And his his weeping commenced as he saw the Christ wounded on that cross for his sin. And it was by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that that burden was released from his back and he was set free. And now there comes to him three shining beings saying, Peace be with you. Now, notice what they give. The first said to him, Your sins are forgiven. The second stripped off his rags and dressed him with new clothing. The third put a mark on his forehead and gave him a scroll with a seal on it. He told Christian to review it often as he went on his way, and at the end of this journey, to turn it in at the celestial gate. And after this, they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on his way singing, Thus far I did come, burdened with my sin, nor could I find relief from my grief within, until here I came. What a place this is! Here shall be the beginning of full and eternal bliss. Now my burden falls from my back forever. From the cords that bound it, by grace my grief is severed. Blessed cross, blessed tomb, rather, most blessed be the man who there was put to shame. A shame he took for me. Well, let's go back and ask some questions. First, the word is, your sins are forgiven. That is, all of his past sin has now been wiped out. It is gone. It is cast into the depths of the sea. Second, he is stripped of his rags. You remember that his rags were his righteousness. His rags were his attempts to make himself righteous. And he utterly failed. He could not do it. And so he has come with a burden of sin on his back, and he's come dressed in rags. But now he is dressed in new clothing. What's that mean? Well, first, his past sins are forgiven. And then secondly, he is made holy. He now has a righteousness that does not come by works. He has a righteousness that is a gift from God. A righteousness that, according to Romans, the first chapter, does not come from his attempts to white-knuckle victory over sin. Instead, he now has been made righteous in reality. 
And I know there are some of you who want to say his righteousness was imputed righteousness, that it's not his righteousness. I want to say no, that's not accurate. There is no such thing in Scripture as imputed righteousness. Righteousness that is granted to the sinner who is forgiven for his sin is real righteousness. When a person says to me, I'm saved, I have to immediately stop and ask a couple of questions. What are you saved from? And what are you saved to? And obviously the answer is, I am saved from my sin. And I am saved to righteousness. This is what God does for us. There are many who want to say that the blood of Jesus simply covers over our sin. If that were true, the blood of Jesus would have no more power than that of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant. Their sin was covered over. One was declared righteous. In the New Testament, we are not declared righteous. We are made righteous. Now, I want to show you this in the Scriptures. Specifically, let's go to the book of Galatians. In Galatians, the second chapter, the Apostle Paul begins in verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. This word justified literally is an old English word, and it literally means to make righteous. If you go to the Greek word, dikasune, that too means innocence. It means righteous. So it's saying here, I know that a man is not made righteous by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be made righteous by faith in Christ, and not by observing the law, because by observing the law no one will be made righteous. If while we seek to be made righteous in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Well, what's he saying? Did you catch it? He's saying, if I rebuild what I destroyed, well, what did you destroy? By coming to the cross of Jesus Christ, you destroyed the power of sin over your life. That's what the cross does. Yes, it forgives our past sins, but it also destroys the sin that is in our lives. The blood of Jesus provides an avenue of escape for us. But if you continue to walk in sin, as is the modern theological interpretation, then obviously you are rebuilding 
what you once destroyed by coming to the cross of Jesus. And Paul is saying, that is not what Jesus is about. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. In other words, you died because you were a sinner. And now you have been brought into Jesus Christ. So you no longer walk in volitional or willful sin against the Lord. Now notice this passage that is so familiar to all of us, but I want you to see it in context. I'll begin with Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul is saying that when you come to the cross of Jesus Christ, you're crucified. You're crucified with Jesus Christ. You die so that the law no longer has power over you. But if in your mind and in your heart you reserve a part of your life for yourself, you have not yet died. You're very alive and well. That means you are still under the law. Please understand, there are only two places for us to stand. We either stand in Jesus Christ, forgiven for our sins, and made righteous by the blood of Jesus, or we stand condemned under the law. The only way to escape that condemnation is to die. We call it sometimes to be born again. Remember when Jesus was speaking with Nicodemus? He said a man must be born again. Well, what did he mean? He means that when a man dies out to himself, he comes back to life in Jesus Christ. Now, this is why the old-timers used to set up a mourner's bench. It was simply one of the front benches, and people who were beginning the process of dying out to themselves were invited to come forward and sit at the mourner's bench. Why was it called a mourner's bench? Because someone was dying. The person who sat on that bench was saying, I am choosing to die. They were encouraged to tarry before the Lord, to wait before the Lord, until the full completion of that dying out had been accomplished. Many times I've read accounts of a man or woman, a boy or a girl, staying at that mourner's bench for 24, 36, and even 48 hours. Why? Because it took them that long to bring before the Lord every aspect of their sinful heart, so that finally when it was finished, it was done. They had died out, and they were now hidden in Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize that what I'm speaking about is very foreign to many of you, and I don't want to say this, but 
to give a full and truthful answer, I must. Many times at the National Prayer Chapel, people have come and they have stayed several years and they have resisted ever finally coming before the Lord and fully and completely dying out. And finally, after even 10 years, a man or woman will say, it's just too uncomfortable to stay here and to continue hearing you, Pastor, preach about dying out to sin when I am clear that I have not died out, nor am I willing to die out. And they have left the National Prayer Chapel. While others have come, and they have prayed through, and they have totally gained the victory, until if you said to them, are you walking in any known sin? Are you in any way willfully rebelling against the Lord? Are you in any way walking in uncleanness or selfishness? Their testimony with a brilliant smile upon their face would be, I am walking clean before Jesus. I have finished this process. I have died out. I now live for Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, there are only two places to stand before the judgment bar of God. Either you will stand having completely died out, and you will be brought into life eternal, or you will stand before the judgment bar of God and say, I am a Christian, I am a follower, and I know I am saved, but you have not died out, you have not surrendered to Jesus Christ, and he will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I do not know you. Now that is as starkly put as it is in my power to share with you. Now if you'll just reflect for a moment, you will recognize that if what I have just said is true, and if the word that I'm sharing with you, and I'm going to share even more with you, if this word from Scripture is true, then at least 90% of those who call themselves Christians in America are going to be turned aside from the kingdom of heaven at the judgment bar of God because they were never willing to pay the price to die out to their sin. And because they've never died out to their sin, they are still under the law, even as the preachers are saying to them, don't be concerned about your sin, you are covered by the blood of Jesus. And they have cheapened the blood of Jesus, they have made it of non-effect. I urge you, if you question what I'm saying, prayerfully and carefully read the entire book, the one chapter of Jude. Or very carefully and prayerfully read the first epistle of John. Read it carefully, and you'll see there that it very clearly states that if a man continues to walk in sin, he has never known Jesus Christ. But let's continue with this Galatians passage. He says, The life I live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. You notice, he does not say, I do not set aside the grace of God because the blood of Jesus covers me. He does not say that. He says, if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you're walking in known sin and rebellion against God, you are not saved. Again, remember, what are you saved from and what are you saved to? You are saved from your sin and you are saved to righteousness. But let's go on. I want to read for you in Galatians, the fourth chapter. I'm sorry. No, let's go to Galatians, the fifth chapter. You, my brothers, this is verse 13, were called to be free. And Paul, in this part, is speaking about the offense of the cross. The cross is offensive if everyone who is to be saved must be crucified. And that's what the Word of God says. But notice now in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 13, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Did you catch that? He's saying, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, you will not sin. If you are led by the Spirit, you will not walk in sin, because sin comes from the desires of the sinful nature. Notice verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now he's going to give us, in verse 19, a whole litany of behaviors that indicate that a person is walking in sin and is not saved. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do you say to the person who says, I have the imputed righteousness of Jesus, when he looks at me, 
He doesn't see me. He sees Jesus. And so I'm saved. And I can continue to walk in my sin, and yet I'm saved. That's in direct, how do I put it, direct conflict with the teaching of the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. He's saying that if you walk in these ways, if you walk in the acts of the sinful nature, in other words, if you walk in sin, in rebellion against the Most High, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's obvious, and I'm going to show you this in just a minute, um, in the story of, uh, of Pilgrim, he received a scroll. I want to share with you Ephesians, the second chapter. Let me begin with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's in the present tense. Would you be raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms as you walk in your sin? Absolutely no. You cannot be in Chicago and New York at the same time. You cannot be in your sin and in Jesus at the same time. You cannot be in your sin and seated beside Christ in the heavenly realms at the same time. Now, you also notice, let me read in Ephesians, the first chapter, verse 13, and then we're going to return to our story. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Gospel means the good word, the good news, and salvation. How have you been saved if you still are in your sin? Notice, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So in other words, when you received Jesus Christ, when you went to the cross and you were crucified with him, and now Christ lives in you, the biblical teaching is that you no longer walk in your sin, and instead you have now received a seal of the Holy Spirit. You have received the first deposit 
of the Holy Spirit. And so it is appropriate for that person to say, I am saved, with a recognition that he is only speaking about the first deposit of the Holy Spirit and the first deposit of salvation. We cannot truly say we are saved until we are brought successfully into the celestial city. You'll notice as we read now that pilgrim or Christian has a long journey ahead of him, and that many who set out on this long journey fail and die and are cast aside in the process. Everyone who enters upon this narrow way does not remain on the narrow way and find themselves in a forest of destruction and they lose their lives and they are cast out. Now, just very quickly, our telephone number here is 877-534-0780. I would be more than happy to take your call. Right now, I'm ready. I will pray for you. If you need to come to that mourner's bench, if you have considered yourself a Christian, but you have continued to walk in wickedness, if you've continued to walk in the sins that Paul outlines in the book of Galatians and says that if you walk in any of these, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, if you need to come to the mourner's bench, there is a mourner's bench right now on Pilgrim's Progress for you. Now, I'm not going to be able to pray with you for 36 or 48 hours. The radio station gives me only this very short one hour of time. But I would like very much, my heart would be made very happy by having some of you call and say, Pastor, I'm going to the mourner's bench, and I'm going to stay there until this work is finished in my heart. I want to be in the kingdom of God, and I am going to make this journey, the same journey that John Bunyan made through Pilgrim's Progress. I am going to go through to the celestial city. If you'd like to call, please do right now, 877-534-0780. Or if you have a testimony that you are on that straight and narrow way and you have completed this work of dying out and you now are in Christ, then I'd like to hear from you. 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call. I'll be happy to talk with you and to pray with you. It is of great import that you see the necessity to be released from your past sins and to be released from the sin that is current in your heart. You need to be free in Jesus Christ. So if you'd like to call right now, 877-534-0780, the mourner's bench, is wide open, 
and it's waiting for you. As I wait for you, I'm going to continue. I'm going to share what John Bunyan saw in his dream immediately as Christian begins to take this journey. I saw then in my dream that Christian went on until he came to the bottom of the hill, that is, the hill of Calvary. He came down from that hill with his burden removed of sin, dressed in the clothes of righteousness given to him as a free gift, not by works, given as a free gift. All sin removed, made clean, and with a seal upon his forehead and a scroll in his hand. And the scroll is the testimony, the testimony of the Spirit in his spirit that he is clean before God. The promises that God will now sustain him and God will carry him. He comes to the bottom of this hill. The path is laid out before him. And he says, suddenly, there he saw, lying by the side of the path, three men fast asleep with chains upon their feet. The name of the first one was simple or foolish. The second, sloth. And the third, presumption. Christian went to them to see if he might awaken them. You see, the first thing that begins to happen when a person comes to Jesus Christ, and he has his sins washed away, and he's made righteous, and he has the first deposit of the Holy Spirit, his first concern now is for those who are not walking in righteousness. His first cry now, is how can I help the sleeping awaken? And so first we have foolish or simple, meaning no judgment. And then we have sloth, laziness. And then we have presumption, walks in sin and assumes that he's saved. Christian went to them to see if he might awaken them and said, You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like one who lies on top of a mast. Though the dead sea is under you, a gulf that has no bottom, wake up, get back on the path, and if you're willing, I will help you take off your iron shackles. He also told them, He also told them, If he that goes about like a roaring lion comes by and finds you like this, he will destroy you with his teeth. With that, they looked at Christian and began to reply to him. Foolish said, I see no danger. And Sloth said, I just need a little more sleep. And Presumption said, Everybody needs to make up his own choices. 
You need to mind your own business and not meddle in ours. So they all lay down to sleep again, and Christian went on his way. Christian was troubled to think that men in such danger should have so little regard for the kindness he'd extended when he awakened them, counseled them, and offered to free them of their iron shackles. I guess I have that same concern today. Are you, are you that foolish one? Are you sleeping? Are you walking in presumption before God? Are you comfortable in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the church? Are you presuming that you're saved when you're still walking in darkness? Isn't it time to come to the mourner's table, to sit at the mourner's bench? Isn't it time for you to get right with Jesus? So how are you going to walk? How are you going to walk with the Lord? These three men, foolish and sloth, and I want to call him hypocrite, but we'll come to him later. Presumption, they simply lay there, resting, taking their ease, with no concern for what was going to happen to them. What's happening in your life today? Are you awake? Are you in grave danger? Have you examined carefully your heart and your life? Now, notice, Christian is very troubled to think that that these men in such danger should have so little regard for the kindness he extended when he awakened them and when he counseled them and when he offered to free them of their iron shackles. As he was thinking about this as he journeyed, he suddenly saw two men come tumbling over the wall on the left side onto the path. They immediately came toward Christian. The name of the one was Formalist. The name of the other was Hypocrisy. Soon they were walking with Christian on the path. Christian immediately began to engage them in conversation. Christian asked, Gentlemen, where did you come from? Where are you going? Formality and hypocrisy replied, We were born in the land of vainglory and are going to Mount Zion where we expect we will receive both praise and honor. Why didn't you enter by the gate that stands at the beginning of the way? Don't you know that it's written that he who does not come in by the door but climbs up by some other way is a thief and a robber. Formalist and hypocrisy answered that to go to the gate 
in order to enter into the way was considered by them and all their countrymen to be too inconvenient and roundabout, especially since they could shorten the journey by simply climbing over the wall as they had done. But won't this be seen as trespassing, Christian asked. Don't you think the Lord of the city for which we are bound must count it as a violation of his revealed will? Formalist and hypocrisy told Christian not to worry about it, since it had been their custom and the custom of their land for more than a thousand years. But, but will your custom stand up in a court of law? They replied, This custom of entering the way by taking a shortcut has been going on as a long-standing practice for more than a thousand years and would be ruled as a legal practice by any impartial judge. And besides, they added, as long as we get into the way, what does it matter how we got in? If we are in, we are in. You came into the way through the narrow gate. We came tumbling over the wall. And since we're both in, who is to say that your chosen path is better than ours? Christian told them, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rude working of your own notions. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found as true men at the end of the journey. You come in by yourselves without direction, and you will go out by yourselves without his mercy. Do you see what Bunyan is saying in his allegory? He's saying that by your free will, you came tumbling over the wall. You're now saying that you're Christian, You're now saying that you're walking in the midst of the church. You're now saying that you're saved. But in fact, you never came in through the gate. You never came in through the door. You came in as a hireling for the benefits. You didn't come through the narrow door with a burden of sin on your back. Do you notice neither formality nor hypocrisy, have any apparent problem with the sin in their life. They are casual. You can see them every Sunday as you go to church. They're full of chit-chat. They're they're always in social dialogue. They never sit and pray. They don't seek Jesus. They don't weep for their sins. There's no stirring in their hearts. Oh, they may be the head of the vestry, or they may chair the board of the church. They may be a head deacon or a head elder. They may be a minister. They might even be the pastor. But they never came in through the gate. They never have been crucified with Jesus Christ. They make excuses for their sins. They're unwilling to receive what Jesus wants to give them. 
they're not walking in the same way that pilgrim or Christian is walking. Hi, William. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. What Thank would, you very much, Pastor. What would you like to share? Well, um, you know, I haven't heard you totally in, in the days I've heard you, but I guess one thing that comes to mind I'd like to ask you, if you will, and I, I'm sure you'll have an answer for this. Um, it sounds like you, you're saying that when a person God saves, that they can reach a per, particular point of sinless perfection, maybe, and I, maybe that's not exactly right, and that's why I'm asking you, because I'm hoping you straighten me out on this. Uh, the, and Because I remember Jesus saying, but this had to do with adultery. He said, well, if you think it in your heart, then it, you've done it so far. I don't know. Um, could you address that, please? William, absolutely. That's, an, that's a wonderful question. Thank you. John Wesley was asked that question many times, and his answer to that was, a fuller understanding of what sin is. And he used the definition found in 1 John that sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness requires an element of volitional or voluntary submitting myself to that sin. Now, am I perfect? No, because I'm immature. I have infirmities. I make mistakes. There's a difference between that, William, and my giving myself to sin and volunteering myself to sin. That's the difference. So it's like, uh, that doesn't mean it's not going to come into your mind or your heart. Absolutely not. Because, you, you know, you gotta, it's a matter how you deal with it in, the, in Christ. It depends on how you deal with it in Christ, because if a bird comes and lands in my head... I don't have to let him stay and build a nest. Yeah. Well, you know, when I hear you talking, uh, like I haven't heard you 100% of the time since you've been on, but uh, I think it has to stir up not just me, but a lot of people that say, well, wait a minute, it's not just uh, what I think or what I don't think, but uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised. Oh, apparently, you have a little wire problem there. People call it. I just want to tell you. Uh, it's a little, it, it, it's a compressor or something on the phone, maybe. I don't know why, but, uh, it's, it's kind of a little hard to call, so. Uh, but, uh, you know, you stir up a lot of thoughts in people's mind, I think. William, what I want is Jesus. And I want to walk, and I want to walk clean in Jesus by Amen. the power of His blood. Amen. Thanks, William. Good My call. My pleasure. God bless you. Thanks. And yes, we are having some difficulty with our telephone system. I'm not sure what's going on. But please be patient. We'll have this fixed by tomorrow. Um, Our telephone number is 877-534-0780. And I urge you, look honestly at your condition before God and make a decision about whether or not you need to be at a mourner's bench and pray through. Uh, Carrie, welcome. What would you like to share? Uh, I'm confident that uh, I'm saved because of the fact that I have faith in Christ and Christ alone and not uh, by works, at least any man should boast, but uh, I'm still, I don't, uh, the pattern of my life has drastically changed, but I I still struggle with sin and um, I don't want to take any chances with uh, eternity. Then, Carrie, I would tell you to finish the work that the Holy Spirit has started in your heart. 
And as long as that journey is being made, the grace of Jesus Christ is fully in us and calling us, finish this work so that the final seal at the end of time can be placed on our hearts. And I recognize that this is not easy, but everything else has to be laid aside and we have to look honestly at where we stand. We're out of time. Carrie, thank you for your call. I want to pray with you quickly. Lord, I thank you for Carrie saying that he wants the fullness of the blood of Jesus in his heart. Lord, not just to forgive his past sins, but to break the power of sin now in his heart. And I pray, Lord, that the fondest desire of his heart can be realized that he could have victory over all that would make him unclean before you, that the fullness of the Spirit of the living God would be in him. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. We're out of time today. My name is Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. I recognize that what I'm talking about is very serious. And what John Bunyan was speaking of in Pilgrim's Progress is of utmost importance. Don't rest in some false assurance that you're saved. Make certain. Make your calling and your election sure. God bless you. We'll talk with you tomorrow. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.